Hello, I'm James Batchelor, and you're listening to the GamesIntry.biz podcast. I'm at Develop VR in London this week, and I am joined by four VR veterans, experts. How, how do you like to refer to yourselves? I'm going I'm to go around the circle. Oh, uh, I, I, well, I have used the word VR pioneer, but it sounds a bit naff now. <laughs> <laughs> but who are you? Oh, yeah, good point. Thanks, James. I'm Dave Ranyard, and I am the CEO of Dream Reality Interactive. I'm Stuart White. I'm Director of VR Product Development at Sony London Studios. Uh, I am Anna Hollenrake. I am a senior artist at Climax Studios down in Portsmouth. And I'm Simon Barrett, co-founder of Cooperative Innovations. Lovely, thank you. Um, Thank you all for joining me. Uh, I think you can guess what we're going to talk about. Characters in games. No. (laughs) The quality of writing. No. Virtual reality. Uh, It's still a hot topic. It's It's still very much kind of positioned as the future of, of video games and, and entertainment in many ways to hit the couple of stumbling blocks in, in some people's eyes there's um, we've, we've run features on whether it's a, a chasm of disappointment at the moment in terms of there was a lot of hype about virtual reality taking off 2016-2017 and adoption rate has been quite slow PSVR is obviously the, mass, you know, the market leader at the moment but even then, it's kind of only, and I know that sounds silly, but only a million units sold kind of worldwide. What's the next step for VR? What's going to help lift it up in terms of user adoption and in terms of getting people excited again? So, I mean, Zuckerberg talked recently about it going to a billion users, right? So we've obviously got quite a way to go from a million to a billion. I think, you know, part of what my talk today here was about, you know, AAA flagship games that kind of be the kind of thing that really pushes the platform and creates a reason to kind of get on board. I don't think gaming is the only thing that pushes VR, but I think that, that gaming is definitely a major push for any new piece of hardware. I think in terms of hardware, um, we're still kind of in that first generation of this, the new next generation of VR versus the 90s, I guess. But, the, you know, we're still trying to experiment with pushing uh, field of view and display resolutions and comfort and all these sort of factors. The inside out tracking we've seen from Microsoft and other things now as well, that's just coming onto the new generation. So that plus the price point being reduced is a difficult thing to do. And so until we've got to that point where both those things are there, the features and the price, I think it's going to be a difficult thing for adoption, which I think all of us probably knew that, but kind of getting to that point where it does hit the billion is just going to take time, really. I think it's also, uh, as you were talking about the next billion users, uh, it's really important to pay attention to the price point coming down, just because right now it is, the, uh, even in mobile VR, the really top level handsets that are kind of able to be accessible for users and uh, as it becomes more and more widespread on handsets that maybe aren't 600 pounds you're going to find a lot more people being able to pick it up just because it's something fun that they can have with their 300 pound handset and I, i i think the oculus go santa cruz and the google standalone will make a big difference maybe not on launch day but like a year from now or 18 months from now, there'll be quite a lot of those in the market. Certainly the Go at £200, $200, that's a Christmas present. You know, that's a Mm. Game Boy 10 years ago. That's a price point where if people are excited or interested, then they they can actually get it. And I think one of the perhaps perhaps missteps in terms of the mobile VR side is is that people are actually very protected to that... are very attached to their phone and to switch to a different variant, brand, whatever. It's quite a big deal to move from a, I don't know, a Lenovo to a Samsung or, or whatever that move would be. And it's also, they're tied into contracts, which might be a, a year or 18 months. So for those to be the vehicle to get people into <coughs> the um, Gear VR and the Daydream has actually been you know, challenging and a bit 
a bit messy mm. in the from the consumer side. So having a standalone device you can go get for your birthday or Christmas, I think will make a big difference. Now at the beginning of this year, I did a talk at a different conference, I won't name, uh, and I put up a slide which said winter is coming, because we, we all knew we were going to have to survive this year. We're all here, that's great, and it's November. I think we probably have to survive next year, mm. but then by then I think it, you know, it will be much more solid. It may not be <clears throat> you know, multi-millions of headsets out there, but it will be tens of millions uh, in the next year or two, and I think that, that will be a big enough market for us to, to, to do interesting stuff and make some money. I mean, sorry. So when we started uh, Cooperative two years ago, we always focused on the social VR side of it, so therefore we need concurrent users to be able to play online mm. games in VR. And so we always aimed at 2018 as being when the numbers would be okay to do that kind of thing. And so now, as, as Dave says, it's growing towards that kind of uh, install base that we need to do that. Uh, fingers crossed for that that will achieve it with PlayStation and the PC headsets kind of coming to the market. But this is the thing you say about survival, Dave, and like you know, just knowing you had to get through 2017 as this kind of lull year after all the headsets launched in 2016. But we've seen in the last month or so, we've seen CCP have essentially pulled out of VR, alt space have dropped out of VR. You're starting to see people are kind of downsizing their VR things, and you kind of assume that there are investors sitting there thinking, Well, where's my money? I put well, money into this. Have not space been picked up by Microsoft? Microsoft yeah. They have. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, no. I, I, for me, I think it's a challenge for an independent large studio to, to survive because to keep you know forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred mouths fed mm. could be could be difficult for small indies. I mean, we're, our, our studio is fifteen people. There's lots of interesting projects out there. It's a um, we we take what I call a blended approach. So from one extreme being make our own game, put it out, make some money, right through to do some B2B work. Hmm. Uh, always looking for something that's interesting. So, you know, B2B work could be, oh, somebody wants to do something with eye tracking. Well, that's really cool. I'd love to learn about that and get paid to do it. Uh, through to, you know, we're doing some work in a, in a partnership with a number of other companies funded by Spy work, uh, Sky, working with David Attenborough, really exciting, interesting project. So, and then we also talk to all the platforms and different platforms from Sony to Oculus to... Uh, Google are all funding content as well. So there's lots of different places to go and, and look, but I think it, in terms of like a big dev team, it's like Stuart Studio is probably, you know, because it's first party, mm. it can, Sony can afford to put that flagship studio behind a big AAA IP, whereas an independent studio probably can't afford to do that yet. I think also the yeah, there's been some studios that have been closing recently, and you could then infer that's the death of VR. But there's studios that close all the time in the video game space, right? It's yeah. not the death of console because Lionhead shut down two years ago or whatever. And I think you know Dave's, Dave's right. I think you know I mean, we're, we're blessed at London Studio with the level of investment that we've got and what we're pushing on Blood and Truth. But I think you know for all of us as developers, you know, the bigger we can make that market, the more there is for us to play around with at that point. And I think, you know, as the industry gets bigger and bigger, we're just going to be able to scale the scope and the ambition of the kind of things that we're doing. I mean, as I said to you earlier, because we spoke earlier in the day, it's like it's kind of nice and easy for you because you're you're owned by PlayStation, so you have quite a lot of money behind you, like guys. But like Climax, obviously, um, you guys have, have repositioned yourself over the last few years to be completely focused on VR, AR, MR. 
I'd say, no, we do like a mixture of projects. Like okay. we've got uh, a lot of different things that we work on. Um, we do like to have a lot of uh, kind of VR and upcoming technologies we like to play around with. Uh, but we've definitely got console stuff and then we have uh, VR and AR. But it is really fun to be able to like stay on like the kind of forefront of technology. But um, it is like similarly just uh, finding projects that are really interesting, exciting that we can kind of... Um, play around with these technologies with uh, I think it's all about keeping your options open and uh, having a look at uh, what's kind of coming up and uh, just kind of running with that like we definitely have a lot of that stuff still going on in studio okay. fair enough oh you're right what you said at the top though in terms of that um, expectation level that was there with VR it's a lot mm. of impatient investors potentially the ones who aren't really in it for the long term with VR now jumping to AR and suddenly wanting to push that and I wonder mm. if we'll see the same thing with AR, which is a more difficult technical problem, when that doesn't emerge in four or five years, whether they'll get fed up with AR in the same way they're getting fed up with VR potentially right now. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if that happens, really. Stuart, you mentioned in your talk this morning, your keynote, that um, what VR really needs to kind of uh, take that next step forward is AAA products, and not necessarily in the sense that we think of as console games, because you can't just you can't just put Call of Duty on virtual reality. So we kind of I, I don't know if you the rest of you guys agree with with that, but like I mean the the notion of a killer app that's just something that's been talked about since VR really took off. Like what in your mind is a killer app, and when are we going to get it? I've got to use Stuart because you, you started this. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it, it, it was really, it was to accelerate the adoption curve. Killer apps are going to help with that. Big, big, you know, blockbuster titles that just push the platform and create a reason to buy that platform. And I think, you know, we've, you know, we've already had some early examples on PlayStation VR, but it's, you know, it's always about just pushing that scope and pushing that ambition and doing bigger stuff. And I think, you know, it's something you see in the console space all the time. I think it makes total sense in, in the VR space as well. I think it's worth looking at behaviour as well. So, <clears throat> you know, I have a teenage son. He plays a lot of Rainbow Six Siege and Overwatch. And he's, on, he's online talking with his mates, doing that. There'll be a point when he's doing that in VR with his mates. Yeah. That's going to happen. That is going to happen, and that it's that's for me is going to be a big tipping point on that kind of AAA. But there's a lot of chicken and egg in that, right? There's well, you need it to be big enough to have enough people online to play. Um, you need all those people to to be able to afford the headsets and so on. But that could be what, three years. Yeah, you know, mm. I think so that, that that's, that's probably that's, a reason. I don't know if you played Star Trek recently, but Star yeah. Trek was great for yeah. that. I mean, it was total cross-platform. So with the smaller yeah, 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 install-based yeah. PC side, it just worked as well. And it was yeah. yeah, that social aspect. There's definitely something there. I agree. So, so basically, that's what we're we're based on is exactly that yeah, hope. Exactly. To be honest, it's the, we've got Raiders of Erda, which is an online cooperative RPG, and two other titles which are based on the same kind of tech. It's full-body avatars. It's the voiceover IP. Um, and it's just people sort of gesturing and working together, whether it's a collaborative or a competitive thing. Um, which it, it makes everything more fun. It's a multiplier, is the social and multiplayer aspect, just like it was in MMOs for games back in the early 90s. Mm. There's the other. So, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say. Uh, I think the ease of just being able to like pick up and go with it, like having these all-in-one systems, is going to be huge for it because when you've got to consider, there's a lot of like almost. Um, kind of mental labour in thinking, oh, have I got this thing set up? Have I got this thing set yeah. up? Um, is this charged? If you can just pick up one thing 
and just run with it I think that's going to make just accessing the technology so much easier mm. uh, and I feel like that'll result in a lot of people just thinking oh you know what I'm just going to dip into that because I don't have to check that my sensors are lined up or anything like it makes things much more straightforward <coughs> yeah, John Carmack was saying similar at OC4 like you don't pick up your uh, gear and then suddenly have to do two updates one for the Oculus software one for your Android and one for your <laughs> software as well mm. um, kind of having that combined uh, just the system just works when you, when you get into VR or AR potentially. I, I also think it's worth looking at the uh, investment in out of home VR. Yeah. So you know you've got Dreamscape, um, Void, Void the, yeah, the Void, and some other companies like that who are going big on like going into things like IMAX mm. and other places for people to go who aren't going to invest in this stuff at home for a really long time. But I think that will really increase and improve the awareness of the of the value of of the entertainment that you're getting, mm. and so. You know, fast forward two years, you've got these standalone headsets, you've got people that are able to try it out of home like that, a lot more comfortable with what they're buying then, and it's less of a risk. Plus with that, you'll have had uh, various softwares matured, come out, you start to have the bigger blockbusters coming through. So I think it'll just it'll just take time, and we all knew there'd be the trough of disillusionment. I, I always mm. said it, and I think Simon, you said it as well. And we're in it, and we'll get out of it. You know? I'm intrigued to see how the out-of-home stuff progresses, because like... I don't own VR at home. I don't. I just. I don't have the room. I don't have the money. I don't have a PC good enough. Um, I do have a PlayStation Four. There you go. So that's my option. That's my option. Yeah. But I do have. I also have a wife who probably might judge why I'm sitting there with a headset on and completely ignoring her and my son. So exactly the same. And I. The thing with the PlayStation Four is the social screen, and they will come on. It's just. It makes it much more immersive because your wife can see what you're seeing. So it does, yeah, it works pretty well. So she can see why I'm ignoring her. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think there's so much value to be found in that, though. Uh, When we were working on Loader and the Giant, um, we developed a companion app as well because uh, when you're playing, for example, if you're playing with your kid, uh, you want to be able to see what they're doing. Mm. And uh, we kind of realized that there was so much value to be had in just having another screen you could just tap on the screen and then you can annoy your friend by just putting arrows everywhere but it immediately becomes way more social and you can experience it as well and i think having that it is definitely helping there's even that bomb is it, what's the Keep bomb talking, no, yeah. explodes yes yeah. 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 just totally uses that second I mean, that secondary screen that's pretty much well. the, the first game that got my wife into gaming yeah, was, yeah. was keep talking nobody nice. explodes to be honest and just, <laughs> we still kind of play that occasion whether it's gear vr or playstation or whatever platforms mm. but it just works really well for that switching between you one of you in that immersive environment and again it's something we're looking at with our games of how we can do that and to the out of home point again these social experiences star trek bridge i think announced this week there in the imax um, arcades now so four of you go in together rather than playing four different single player games you're all then doing yeah, the shared experience together just like you would in the escape room or laser quest or whatever see that's, that's where it's really cool like, like, like I said I, because I don't have VR at home yet maybe um, I, my, the vast majority of my experience no my entire experience of VR has been at events like this you know playing demos and playing um, you know tech demos and, and showcases and it means that I've I've experienced the full power of VR. I feel like I've experienced the full power of VR, but then I haven't had to dedicate a room to setting up sensors and so forth. So the idea of going to an arcade, going to a museum, going to a theme park, going to somewhere where they have a VR attraction, that's what appeals. But then is the games industry the the ones to provide that or uh, you know or is that us waiting for that to happen before people will then start getting the the tech at home? It's going to be a bit of both, right? I think there's 
there's definitely the potential for kind of VR arcades to come in existence. You know, they, we're seeing that now, and I think that's exciting because there's stuff that you can do, kind of room scale, like the Ghostbusters experience in New York that lets you play around with stuff like that. But I also think, I mean, to your point of like, you know, coming to events like this and playing demos, you know, that's like going to E3 and playing a load of demos there, right? Mm. It doesn't give you the experience of what you get at home when you're playing a console game. And I think that's the same with VR, right? You need to basically, you know, you can't get that full feeling of playing Resident Evil 7 through from start to finish, no. though, just playing a five minute segment at a show. So it's definitely, you know, there's definitely more to it than just what you're experiencing. That's true. I think the tech is talking personally. The tech I think is coming about five to ten years too late. Because if all of this had been coming out when I was like living in a flat with a couple of mates and just playing games all day, then I would just I would be like headset on Fallout Four, just playing the whole damn thing start to finish. But I, that's the thing. People keep on going about like the the social aspects of VR and that that's the way forward. But it still appears to be quite an, an isolating experience. It still is sticking a headset on, and I know you have a screen to show you, you know, show everyone in the room what you're you're seeing. But you're still cutting everything off to get the full experience. You're still immersing yourself completely by completely cutting off everything in the world. That doesn't lend itself to anyone who's got families or kids or whatever. It lends. <coughs> Until you get to the point where you've all got the headsets potential, then you're all immersed in the same space yeah, in, okay. in virtual. I mean, I also think about PlayStation One to PlayStation Two. I mean, PlayStation One had a lot of cool games to play. Some of them were multi in-room multiplayer, but a lot of them were like solo games. Mm. And then actually, like when I was at London Studio, we did iToy Play, SingStar. The guys Relentless did Buzz, and that opened up consoles to a much broader audience mm. where people shared and that you know was a lot of that was forerunners to stuff that people do on phones and all sorts now so i think we'll go through a wave like that at some point as well where it becomes i think we will see i mean even jackbox is a great example of like fun party games that people play either online or or in room together <clears throat> and we'll get a game there'll be some games like that that come to headsets where one person's got the headset and everybody else maybe with a companion app or maybe without can can sort of be involved and it's turn taking or, or something like that mm. and that will those things will also start to break the barriers and, and improve like pe people's awareness of what they're buying into yeah i think you can see that's already kind of happening because i mean i've definitely just gone around a friend's house and we've all just taken it in turns to play a job simulator or yeah. something like that <laughs> like i think that's like a very common thing that yeah. happens with vr and if we can find a way to get everyone involved at once rather than like like just kind of that's like we know that, that works right like yeah. my, my daughter had her 11th birthday party so it was last year i had the vive set up at home and we did exactly that we everyone did the uh, the blue uh, and everyone played jobs but that, that's what she wanted as a party and they had a great time now that was admittedly with a high end spec a high spec pc and like putting the sensors on the wall because i work in vr but you know that, that if that was easier to set up and cheaper, that's a totally valid thing to have. Yeah. And so it's just a question of getting to that point, which might be three, three years away or something. Yeah. So you know, I do think that we will get to this point where it's not just about first-person shooters that you're playing on your own. It's about social online or social like that that's more family-oriented. And I think a lot of the out-of-home things will actually be more family-oriented. Okay. Because I think that's the audience they're going to go after. I mean, like The Void, I've got a deal with Disney. Uh, I think Dreamscape are going to go, you know, they're all about Hollywood, right? They're not mm. about niche kind of war films or horror films or whatever. They're about big ent family entertainment. So I think that will, like the next year or so, will break those barriers down. 
I think you can very quickly kind of see, um, at least in my mind, uh, kind of a kid taking one of the all-in-one headsets to school and then just passing it around his friends and all his yeah, friends yeah. becoming very jealous. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you don't have like your phone in there, maybe yeah. like it's immediately, oh, I'm not giving my phone away to someone. It's I can see that happening very quickly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. once that becomes possible and accessible, I can see that. Getting that's like how the DS took off, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Like everyone just bring their Game Boy Colors into school yeah. and trade Pokemon together. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> just, just that critical mass of price point and the features and it being uh, just the, the tipping point that occurs and then suddenly it spreads, right? I think it's also us as developers kind of just creating the new design language of VR. Yeah. It's, it's very different challenges and it's, you know, whereas, you know, as I said earlier this morning, that and the PC space, say the WASD key, you know, those keys for first-person shooters took years and iteration and iteration of first-person shooters mm. to get to. And we're doing that again in, in VR. And I think that, you know, as a collective group of developers, you know, we're all feeding off, you know, you've done this cool thing, I'm going to take that, or yeah, I'm yeah. going to develop on that. And, you know, and that's what makes it, you know, challenging, but also super exciting at the moment. There's a, there's a quote I used to put up in our early days of talking about <laughs> VR, and it was of... Uh, an, I think it might have been Alien Resurrection game or uh, one of the Alien games it was two year 2000 it was on Playstation maybe two one or two and it was one of the first first person shooters to move to go onto console and the review says the scariest thing about this game is the control scheme <laughs> and using the you know sticks and blah 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 and it, and it just describes standard controls for a first person shooter <laughs> but at the time people thought crazy you'll never get them to work yeah, on a console shooters won't yeah. work on console yeah. 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 that was a massive thing in the year, around the year 2000 and now you know 500 million discs have been sold or however many and I mean, going back to the games that work socially and people get all get involved i'm still waiting for developers to come up with a, essentially the vr equivalent of nightmare the old tv show <laughs> it's like that's got to be done surely but i mean then simon like you guys can have one that, that one for free that's fine get on it um I mean, I, we've been talking about how it's just kind of a case of waiting it's a case of waiting until the, the technology's there until headsets are all in one untethered etc like then i mean is, does that put the developers in, in kind of a holding pattern where they're just kind of, as you say, like just iterating and prototyping and just waiting for the technology to catch up with our ambition? Or is, is, is this valuable learning time, so, I guess? There's so many things to sort out and to try and, you know, and there's so many other things that, to come along. How I mean, as, as Stuart said, what's the syntax? Every time somebody puts something out, it's like, oh, that's cool. They've got a new uh, locomotion mechanic or, oh, that's cool. They can do that or, you know, and I think all these things are just learning and building and just as game devs always have, they kind of hone in and then people, it's almost like this... Invisible agreement on how things should work, maybe partly voted by the consumers as well, but you know, and so you end up with this syntax that works. So I think we're doing a lot of really valuable stuff. And for me, there's so many different places to go with it, you know, from like helping people with health through to entertainment, games. Uh, how I mean, one thing we haven't even touched on is how VR can interact with AI, which is huge. You know, if you look at, at the moment how we interact with the AI, it's terrible. We like type into a little box. So a chatbot and get something back and it's it's rubbish. Mm. If you you could have the same messaging but in a much more sophisticated way in VR where you actually feel like you're having a conversation with somebody or something like that, you know, there's a ton of stuff you can do there. So all this stuff, I mean, think about it. What's our dream game? 
you know, you're playing some game with your friends in, in VR, you're in this virtual space, you meet some other NPCs, but you don't know whether they're other players or AIs, right? Mm. That could happen. That, that kind of every encounter is a Turing test. That could be in five, ten years. That's an amazing place to be. Okay. Yep. A lot, lot of nodding faces, so you agree. Um, I'm conscious you guys are uh, short on time. You guys have got a panel to go to soon. So a couple of quick-fire questions. First of all, best VR game or experience you guys have enjoyed? So many. Um, I mean, Job Simulator is a classic, so Rick and Morty with it as well. Both great, fun experiences. Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes is really just work in terms of that immersion factor, I think. And that's three different answers there. but That's fine. Yeah. Uh, personally, the first time I ever tried Tilt Brush, it was just the most mm. phenomenal moment for me as an artist. The ability, it, it sounds pretentious. It's almost like an aspect of dance and flow in the movement and it just became, it, it was just the potential was huge and being able to like draw a line in the air and then duck under it and like just have all these things weaving together. It was just a really wonderful experience for me. I think my first experience of VR on PSVR was pre-release I got snuck into a E3 behind closed doors in 2015 and played the heist, and that was definitely inspirational. And then more recently, Bridge Crew. Love Bridge Crew. Just playing it online with friends was great. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> I really want to play Bridge Crew. I still it's haven't awesome. done it. I still... You've got to go make it so. <laughs> Engage. Yeah, Job yeah, done, yeah. Totally. Just, do, I, got, yeah, yeah, I always yeah. used to want um, Bridge Commander on PC because you could have voice commands, so you could actually shout, like, say, but yeah. That, so Bridge Crew with voice commands, that's what I want. Well, Bridge Crew with three geeky friends who all love Star Trek. <laughs> honestly, it is amazing. Nice. Um, Manifest 99 is one of my favourites, which is made by these guys who actually we did some work with on Wonderbook way back when. Um, it's a really nice narrative and it's a really engaging way to, to navigate through this train and find out what's happening. Um, but also I really like Life of Us, um, which I think is really interesting. There's, what I love most about it is the dancing robot at the end. I think there's a lot of fun to be had with that because you just kind of... I, when I was in there, I forgot I was in an office and I was just dancing away <laughs> with a silly string and all sorts of stuff. Nice. Um, final question then. Thank you so much for your time, everyone. Um, what was the one piece of advice you'd give to other developers who are thinking about getting into virtual reality? What do they need to know? What are the misconceptions? What, how do you prepare to get into virtual reality development? I think, as, as Stuart was saying before, it's like the, the previous lessons from game development, we've all worked in game dev for a long time. VR is very different in that you can imagine how something would work and it's nothing like that when you actually try it. I think, yeah. I think that, that's the one big thing with, with VR, is that we, all that previous knowledge doesn't count for a huge amount now. It, it's very different in terms of the design um, and, in, and some technical stuff as well. It all varies a lot from what we're used to. Um, I'd say consider the challenges from the get-go uh, and use them to kind of make them work for you. Uh, there's obviously a lot of approaches in terms of like motion sickness and all that kind of thing, um, and you kind of really have to focus on that otherwise you're just going to end up fighting against the tech and people feeling very ill um so just being really mindful of the way that you kind of have to interact with vr and setting up your design so that it works with that rather than against it and you end up crying into a pit because you're so (laughs) so stressed with it (laughs) so I'd say don't be constrained. I think, you know, this at this time in VR, it's super exciting. There's going to be new genres, new mechanics that come out that are only possible in VR. 
and it's going to be teams that just think in a very different way they're going to come up with these kind of new inspirational games that will push the industry in a completely different direction and uh, my advice I give to people actually whatever they're doing but I think it's really pertinent to new tech is do one simple thing really really well rather than doing 10 things averagely so work on a mechanic hone it get it really cool rather than getting a mechanic okay and then building another one on top and another one on top it's not going to get more interesting by doing that you get one simple thing working really really well especially if nobody's done that thing mm. then you'll get noticed and you'll have done something interesting brilliant thank you so much everyone for uh, for your time best of luck with your your various projects um in the meantime, you can find more uh, of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Overcast, Pocket Casts, various podcasting platforms. If it's a podcasting platform, we're probably on it. And you can find all your news, insight and analysis at gamesindustry.biz. Mm-hmm.